0: morning. I hope you have your Bible open and ready to go. Uh, Let me ask, did you read through Joshua 1 through 4 yesterday? Uh, I pray that as you read through those four chapters, it was an encouragement to you. Uh, If you have any questions that come from that text, again, you can message them below. Uh, You can send them to me as a message here on Facebook, and I will do my best to either answer those questions or to point you in the right direction. Uh, This is an interactive time for us. We're not just uh, reading through this, but hopefully we're growing through this, which was the goal. Yesterday, we said that the entire book of Joshua has really one message, and that is that God is faithful. And that was so important because of where joshua falls in the history of israel Uh, in the in the hebrew old testament you had the three sections the law the first five books that moses wrote the prophets that went from them going into the land to them actually coming back into the land from exile and then you have the writings which are um, characters or or portions of um, like, like an artistic portion inside of the history where you see someone who is faithful or a description, an artistic description like the Psalms of what was happening in that time period. It's so important, the book of Joshua, because it sets up the history of Israel. It's a a capstone to everything that would happen. It's supposed to be a defining piece of what would define Israel's history, that God is faithful. And instead, what we're going to see throughout the history of Israel, if you continue reading through your Bible this year, is that really what defines Israel is their faithlessness, not his faithfulness? So, as we come to these four chapters, five, six, seven, and eight, some really good background would actually be the book of Leviticus. And, and that's because the four chapters we're looking at today really tell us who God is, that he's holy, and and define what that means, not just for Israel, but for you and me, the appropriate response to a holy God is worship. You see, the point of going into the land, because they're gonna go into the land in these four chapters, wasn't just taking the land that they had a place to live. It was getting to a place where they could live with God. The whole point was God dwelling with his people and he is holy and they are not. That's a big problem. God is holy. That means he's morally perfect. He's pure. He is thoroughly righteous and we are not. Our holiness, believers, yours and mine is imputed. What that means is as we look back uh, two days ago at Easter it isn't that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. That's half of the story. Um, Our slate is not just clean and white. It's that he died on the cross to give us his righteousness at the same time. He paid the debt we couldn't pay and gave us the righteousness we couldn't earn. Uh, It's the picture in Luke 15 of the prodigal son where it says the father placed his robes on him. Jesus placed his righteous robes on us. Our holiness is given to us. And so when we look at Israel, it's kind of a great picture of our daily struggle with God. We struggle in our flesh still with sin, just like they did. And God graciously gave them a way to deal with that sin. But he also called them to respond to him. When God describes himself in the Old Testament, he says that he is gracious. He's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love, and all of those are relational attributes. God describes himself in relationship to his people, because his heart is for his people. And because of his heart, the only appropriate response we can be experiencing that kind of love and grace and mercy is worship. And so we're going to see that these four chapters today press us to know that we have a holy God and that our response should be to worship him. So if you've got your Bible, look at chapter five with me. Chapter five. Is Israel really preparing to go into the land by renewing their covenant relationship with God? Israel has this unique covenant relationship, and it is externally visualized through circumcision. Uh, it's a sign of the relationship that they had. And Paul tells us in the New Testament, as well as we see in, in Jeremiah, it's not about external circumcision. God is going to circumcise our hearts, meaning he's going to change our hearts are different. What we love is different because of what God has done for us than what we loved before God intervened in our lives. Um, We have today two external um, symbols of our relationship with God. You have the ordinance of baptism. Baptism is a symbol that you have gone under the waters, that's death, and come out, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, because he rose, we will rise. It, It is a It is a testimony to the congregation. I'm one of you. You can hold me accountable. It is a testimony to the world. I am defined by the grace of Jesus at this point in time. It is a symbol of your relationship with God. And so is the Lord's Supper, the bread and the juice or the wine were a symbol to describe I am continuing in good relationship. I am remembering that my life is defined by what Jesus did for me and I'm in good standing with the rest of you here. We have those external symbols of our relationship with God. And again, that is a response to the presence of God in worship, the holiness of God in worship. So we get that there. are Preparing, this was the generation that had been wandering. They had not been circumcised. It is a reminder again to them that God is faithful and our lives will be defined by His faithfulness. And his holiness. And then you come to this really unique passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole book of Joshua, chapter five, verses 13 through 15. It says, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have come now as commander Of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground and he worshiped and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to you? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did that. Now, I want you to think back on other areas in the Bible. When people encounter angels, angels do not receive worship. Angels direct worship to God. They're constantly pointing to God. Don't worship us. Worship him. Remember when Daniel encounters the angels, he falls down and they say, no, no, stand up, man. Worship him. This, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. He is receiving Worship. And in fact, what I love about this is that this is just like Israel had another red sea in their Jordan crossing. This is Joshua having his own burning bush. Remove your sandals for the place where you're standing is holiness. It's holy. Um, Again, I want you to see, because this is the whole point of this section, where there is holiness, the response should be worship. It says that Joshua worshiped. Um, Can I tell you why I think this is so important? I think that this is so important because before they go into Jericho, Joshua has some time of worship. Um, leaders, we cannot lead our church to worship if we don't personally worship. And and I think that there's an application in that for pastors, for uh, people who are staff members at churches, that you can't lead the people of God to worship if you're not willing to worship. Um, but it's not just for pastors. Mom, dad. Um, you can't lead your kids to worship if you're not willing to worship. It's this prerequisite that we don't go beyond where we currently are. Um, Maybe a great parallel to this is one of the oddest passages in the Bible. In, In Exodus, as Moses has encountered the burning bush, very similar timing and placing, uh, Moses is going to go back to Egypt, but before he gets there in Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 through 26, we read, it says, God came to kill Moses. And that is a wild statement, and it's you know, just you know three verses, 24, 25, 26, the short thing, and it's all built around circumcision. We read that Moses' wife um, has to circumcise his son because Moses had not done that. It was, again, this statement, God will never take us beyond where our faithfulness is willing to go. God will never take us beyond where our worship has, has led us. And I think it's so important to see not just that, but also to see this is right before Jericho. Your worship will prepare you for what war you're facing, whatever battle you're facing, your worship will prepare you for that. And so the question should be right now, how has my worship prepared me for this season of life that I'm in? It's a great question. Uh, Maybe you need to just pause this right now and spend some time in prayer and in worship. Chapter six, we get to Jericho. Now, It doesn't take a military-savvy mind to process this. Jericho reads significantly less like a battle and significantly more like a worship service. Now, at your church, I doubt that there are uh, marching, um, trumpets being blasted, and shouting that defines the worship service, and I doubt that that will be the description of Hillsong's next album. But it is obviously worship. And don't you love this, that as Israel worships loudly, the walls come down. Um, I think there's an awful lot for us to get here as believers that maybe the things that feel overwhelming to us should be calls for us to worship because we have a holy and powerful God, a God who can overcome all of these things. And then we're right back to the difficult part of the book of Joshua. As soon as the walls come down, they go in and they kill everyone. Let me remind you, we talked about this yesterday. We're getting Israel's side of the story. We don't know what happened there previously, but what we do know is that we know everyone who is in Jericho knew who God was. Rahab tells us that they had heard of what God did in Egypt and to Sihon and Og on the eastern side of uh, the Jordan. They heard, they knew, and they chose not to respond. And yet Rahab chose to respond. That's the second part of chapter 6, 22 through 27, is that she responded and God graciously saves. God saves those who respond, trust in him, call on him. It's hard to process, not just how does this work, but hell is hard for us to process. And here's the truth that we see. Holiness really is a dividing line. Hell exists because of sin heaven exists for humans because of God's grace. Jesus in Luke 12, 51 says that he came to divide. He is a dividing line because as we encounter the holiness of God, there's two choices. You respond by trusting in God's grace and his provision from Christ for us, or you choose to keep doing what you're doing. Let me give you a little bit of an illustration for this. Um, Indiana Jones and the last crusade. Um, uh, Indy gets all the way through all of those tests at the end as they're at Petra. And, and they get into the room with all of those cups. There's thousands of cups all around. And the, the guy who's the bad guy, he, he looks through the room and he finds the cup. And he says, this truly is the cup of a king. And it's this golden grail with all of these jewels on it. And he takes his sip. And then he turns and he looks at that knight who's been stationed in there. And that knight gives that iconic line. You have chosen unwisely. And then the terrifying moment, right? Um, and then it's up to Indiana. who walks through the room and he picks up, uh, I don't have another cup, but we'll use this. He picks up this wooden cup and he says, this, this is a, the cup of a carpenter. It's just this plain wooden cup. And he takes a sip and the, looks at the knight and the knight says, you have chosen wisely. And that's such a great film. Uh, none of it's true, but it makes for such great illustrations for this. You see, there's thousands of things that we can choose to give our life to. There are literally limitless number of grails, if you will, that we could choose to say, I'm going to put my life on the line in this thing, your job, money, your family, fame, security, sex, health, whatever it is. There's a limitless number of things that you could say, this is the thing that's going to define my life. This is the thing that's going to get my attention and my affection. And there's only one right choice. Narrow is the path. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. If you pick the wrong cup, which is what everyone in Jericho except for Rahab and her family did, it goes very badly for you. God is holy and he deserves, he is worthy of, He demands worship. Look at chapter seven. Chapter seven is a great illustration from the other side now. Um, The Israelites were unfaithful. Verse one, regarding the things set apart for destruction. This is where we see Achan sin. Look at uh, verse 11. It says, Israel sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They've taken some of what was set apart. Here we see Israel unfaithful. And really it's one man. It's Achan. Achan chose to sin. And I think this is such an interesting point um, that's easily lost in our culture today. One person's sin impacted everyone else. So Trey, let me ask you this. Does my sin impact everyone else? Kind of what the text says here. What you tolerate in your life will have an impact on the corporate uh, body you worship with in some way. How I, I, I don't know. And this is obvious here that that impacted everyone. When Aikinsen they lost the battle at AI. The, the power and the presence of God wasn't with them. What in the world? How can you describe what church would be like if every single individual took their own sin seriously, the holiness of God seriously? The grace of God. Seriously, what what would happen? I don't don't even know. There's so much that this text leads me to question and ask. Um, But what I do see is that a holy God demands appropriate worship. And then you get chapter 8. Chapter 8, we see them respond appropriately. They deal with the sin. And they move in and there's victory. And not only is there victory, AI is defeated, look at the end at verses 30 through the end. You see in verse 31, um, Joshua built an altar. All right, verse 30. At the time, Joshua built an altar at Mount Ebal to the Lord, the God of Israel, just as Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses. Then uh, for me, it's turned the page to verse 34. Afterward, Joshua read aloud all the words of the law. The blessings as well as the curses, according to all that was written in the law of Moses, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before the entire assembly of Israel, including women, the dependents, and the resident aliens, again, catch the grace in that, who lived among them. They worshiped. Their response to experiencing, to being near the holiness of God was to worship. God is holy, and he demands worship. Israel was loved, led by, disciplined by, worshiped by a holy God, and so are we. It's a temptation in every single one of our lives to seek something else, anything else, to settle for something else. I'll never forget sitting with a a friend of mine, um, Kurt, at a Jaguars game. And we were, you know, three, three and a half hours into the game uh, and everyone is cheering. Or or maybe because it's the Jaguars, they were uh, grieving, but it was loud either way. And uh, they're all loud and yelling and screaming. And Kurt leaned over and he said, don't you wish church was like this? And I think what Kurt was getting after, maybe whether he realized it or not, was saying that these guys are worshiping. They're all worshiping. And the question should be, what are we worshiping, and is worthy of our worship? Uh, my friend Bob Coughlin wrote a great book called Worship Matters, um, and here's how Bob puts it in his book. He says it's impossible for us to rightly consider God apart from His holiness, His wrath against sin, His steadfast opposition to injustice, and His righteousness, His righteous judgment of the wicked. These aren't exactly popular or seeker-sensitive topics, but they describe the God we worship. And the more we love to worship him, the more we will hate sin in all its manifestations. If God wasn't fiercely opposed to evil in every form, including our own sin, he would not deserve our worship. He would not be good. He would not be God. So today, maybe like Israel, we just need to pause and refocus on the fact that we have a holy God. We have a God who is perfect, pure, righteous. And maybe we need to take some time to reflect on the fact that God still. And his holiness has been gracious to us, has been compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He wants to be with us. He loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us. He has given us righteousness so that we can continue to dwell with our God. And maybe that that leads to a few things. Maybe you just need to spend some time reflecting on the nature and the character of God. There are some amazing books out there. A.W. Tozer has some great works. Um, the, the, there are just amazing books on the nature, the character of God that will help you to worship God for who he is. Maybe um, you need to take some time and just spend with God and worship just declaring who he is, praying through maybe some psalms, singing through uh, some of the psalms. Maybe you need to confess some sin. Um, this is a great time to pick up the phone and call a friend and just say, I want to talk to you about some things in my life, some things in my past. Uh, I want to I I get them out because I want, to, I want my life to not have those things define it, but God to define my life. Uh, maybe you need to take some time and just sit down. Um, there was an old preacher who said, take a pad and pen write out sins that come to mind and and, and not just ask God to forgive us of them because he's forgiven us but thank him for forgiving us of them Uh, guys here's the point of this text we have a holy God and our response should be worship Joshua 5 through 8 is all about God's people worshiping him because he is holy he alone is holy I pray that that is an encouragement to you that we have a holy God who loves us and longs to be with us. Let me pray for you today, and then we will get after it. God, we thank you that because of Jesus, because of good friday because of easter sunday there is hope for us there is forgiveness for us there is righteousness for us i pray that you help that to settle into all of our minds that when you look at us you see christ's righteousness not our sins not our past not our mistakes not our failures you see righteousness help that to get in because it should give us confidence as we walk with you seek you. And, and worship you. Help us to understand that you are holy and help us to understand that your holiness defines our life and should lead us to live lives of worship because you alone are worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you today. Read Joshua 5 through 8. Send me any questions. See you guys.